0: Welcome to Chase the Vase Podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to another episode of the Chase the Vase Podcast. Man, I am here today with legendary Henry Ward, man. I don't know how else... I can say it, but I know that right now you're experiencing, you're celebrating 13 years of recovery, man, from alcohol and drugs. So number one, man, let's throw you some love on that. Congratulations, brother. Thank you so
1: much. Appreciate that.
0: And just to let the world know, Boston Bob is kind of our uh, our connection, our go-between. So Henry and Brock, we're throwing out some love to Boston Bob out there in Boston. Thank you for what you're doing too. What's up, Bob? Yeah, man. Bob's also an ex-law enforcement. That's where we kind of uh, got together, both in recovery. So I'm excited to hear your story, Henry, but we always uh, like to share, give a shout out to the first responders out there who are battling, who are getting their asses kicked right now. We thank you. We we love you. We support you. And, and this is one of the reasons we do this podcast, to to give back to them and to support them. So Henry, Man, I'm looking at your website, so I just want to, like, as everybody's hitting this and and listening to the website, I want them to go to www.runningwithoutthedevil.com so they can see what you're about. You are a runner, okay? Here, I, I need to preface this first. You are a runner in Arizona.
1: Yes you know just like in boston i grew up in boston massachusetts and um you know we have the cold weather you have the extreme cold the, the winter the winds and all that good stuff and if you want to run you want to run outside you got to deal with that so uh right now i have to deal with 65 degrees partly cloudy and you know 45 in the night not so bad but you know in the summer it's pretty tough it it gets up to uh i think the most i ran it was 118 in the daytime um i've done some events in the summer. I signed up for Hot Foot Hamsters, a 24-hour race this year, and it was outdoors around a 500-meter track around a mansion. So you, uh, you find a way to get it done. You know, it's, uh, you have to, you can't, the sun's not going to go away. You have to find a way to, to manage around it or to keep your core temperature down. But what can I do?
0: Yeah, so for all of us non-long runners, what's harder running, the cold or the hot? Oh, definitely the hot. Definitely the hot,
1: I think it's easier to warm up. You can go indoors and you know warm up. We'd go into dunkin donuts and use the hand warmers and dry off our clothes and that type of thing. our, our mittens and our hats and our gloves and our hats and stuff. but yeah, it's really difficult to get your core temperature down, and of course, your heart rate goes up when it's colder, you're not sweating as much, and your body works. My body works much more efficiently. I feel like days like today I can run forever but yeah, um, in the middle of the summer, not so much. You know, you're carrying more water typically, unless you're going around a 500 meter track because you have uh, an opportunity for an aid station every three or four minutes. But you know, if you're going long distance, you're going on an adventure in the mountains on the trails, you have to carry a lot more water, right? Maybe three liters, five liters, depending on how far you're going to go, how long you're going to be out. So that'll slow you down too. But
0: yeah, yeah, but this this makes me giggle a lot. I don't know if you read the book "Can't Hurt Me" by by uh, Goggins. Yes. Okay. So you you remember the part where he's talking about, you got to have that mental edge when it's freezing cold. He was in New York running and he was trying to teach the guy how to like be mentally tough. And when it's supposed to be sunny in 65, when it's like eight degrees outside, right? You're running in your shorts and and cold. But he goes, hold on a second. Does that work with the heat? He goes, nah, man, it's just effing hot. So it's kind of interesting, man. You cannot, you cannot minimize the heat, but Let's get into it, man. If you don't mind, can you give me a little bit of your story? The reason we're here today is this redemption power, man, the power of uh of change, the power of recovery. Can you share with us like I know that you were in active addiction, how long, what happened? Give us give us a scenario,
1: man. All right. So I grew up in Waltham, Massachusetts, uh you know, eight miles north of Boston, middle class family, you know, somewhat blue-collar. And um Alcoholism was all around me, and I didn't like it at all. When I saw people that were close to me, including my dad and you know uncles, grandparents, friends that played cards with my parents, you know neighborhood friends that those type of people, everybody pretty much drank and drank in excess, and I hated being around it. They were loud, obnoxious, not very present. That was a complete turn off for me, and I I really vowed never to drink. And uh, speed up to junior year in high school. And I tried, maybe just sophomore year, I tried it for the first time. I had a little bit of wine in a friend's house and got a warm glow and was acting all goofy and stupid and stuff. You know, junior year in high school, a lot more people, a lot of my friends started to drink. A lot more people were, and there was more parties and stuff. So we entertained the idea of, of you know, getting hammered, getting, getting a bunch of beer or wine coolers or whatever together and, and had the opportunity at a friend's house to drink. And so we did, we pulled money together and I believe his, his mother bought for us and we had a sleepover and I don't know, the first taste it was on, I got that warm glow, I was drinking like wild berry wine coolers, you know, one after the other and, you know, get sick and just whatever. I didn't care. Blackout drunk. The first time I drank, I slid down this railing in the backyard and like smashed my back, cut up my back, my arms, the back of my head and woke up the next morning in the sleeping bag, like in the rain out on the porch going, what the hell happened? That was awesome. You know, like a rock star, like this is what I'm supposed to do. That was, that's how you party, you know? And, you know, and I'm like, oh man, my head's killing me. I, I didn't tell my mother I was going to sleep over. I'm going to have to pay the piper. I have to go home and, and fess up what happened. I just told her I wasn't feeling good. and But I was a mess, right? So I'm like, all right, that was enough for me. I'm not going to drink for a while. And it might've been two weeks later. And same thing. We pooled our money together and had a place to go and just party and went and just drank in excess to blackout. I drank as many as I could, and I just thought that's what you uh, were supposed to do. So I did that through a junior and senior in high school and then decided I was going to go to college. And by then I started smoking weed, too. And I kind of like smoking weed because you can have a couple beers and, and get and have, and smoke a little weed and get a nice buzz. And I didn't feel like dangerous behind the wheel because I would drink and drive. Right. If I wanted to go from point A to point B, I had to drive. I was drunk a lot, so I could smoke a little bit of weed and I'd be okay. i just kind of chilled at 35, 40 miles an hour, go to the party and, and be mellow, right? Speed up to when I was 21 years old and, and I was of age to be able to buy alcohol on my own. My life changed for the worst. I, I bought beer all the time. I drank every day. People started questioning, like, do you drink every day? Like, no, no, God, no, no, I don't drink every day. But I was, you know, when there wasn't a party, when there wasn't something going on, I needed to be entertained. I would drink by myself and I started isolating. I started getting depressed. And, you know, I watched my friends grow up and start doing well, graduating from college, starting families, getting married, starting families, buying houses, moving further away. And I'm just in my parents' house, no career, no nothing. I was just working. I could make decent money by working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week overtime, but it was basically just beer money. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? So, I started to think that I had a problem, and, and you know, when you're an alcoholic and addict, you blame everybody else. I started blaming everybody else, my problems and my my situation, and that went on for some years. And then I started going to the gym. I figured, like, going to the gym, get healthy, that would help me get sober. And that lasted only a few days. Um, I went around the United States in 1999 in an RV, traveled to Arizona and a bunch of other places, state parks. Thinking about moving somewhere around the West Coast, maybe a geographical change would do me wonders. Maybe, uh, you know, two or three months on the road, I'd discover myself or I'd find a girl or something like that. Something would change my situation or my fortune. Maybe I'd find a nice rich girl or something to take care of me. Right. Uh, but that wasn't the case. That never happened. But I did party my and did party, have a lot of fun, see a lot of places. And that was that. So I was then every day was like Thanksgiving. Every day was a party. So. And then I decided to go to culinary art school. I'm like, you know what? I gotta get out of my parents' house. I need to grow up. I need to get a career. So I was cooking for people at work. I was cooking for the Patriots tailgate game. i was cooking when we go away for the weekend camping. Everybody said what a great job I did. You know, you ever think about going to culinary art school? You ever think about cooking for a career? And it's like, no, no, no. You know, and then finally, you know, after people nagging me enough, it's like, fine, I'll do it. You know, I'll look into it at least. So I did, and I think that was an attempt also to get sober. Actually, I know it was. It was another attempt. Like, if I'm going to, to culinary arts school for a career, I'm spending $20,000, I'm spending all this time and effort into a career and all the money. I'm going to try as hard as I can. I'm not going to drink, and that lasted a few days. You know, once I uh, got comfortable after a week or so of school, I eased my way back into my alcoholism. I wasn't going to treatment or anything like that. Just kind of quit cold turkey, and I did no work in myself. Just figured I could just will it, just will my way through it. I did well in culinary art school, but it was really, really stressful. I had less time to sleep and less time to party. So I started drinking a little bit more hard liquor, and smoking more weed. So I kind of accelerate my buzz. And then I wake up off in the morning, you know, like super tired, hungover, and have to go to work full time and, and go into a job that I didn't want to be at, crabby, cranky, work overtime, then go to school, go to culinary school in the night a couple times a week. So you know, it was hard trying to find time to to party, to do things, to do laundry, to do errands. And, you know, but I got through it and I did not get sober, obviously. Speed up to 2004. I had the opportunity to come out to Arizona for a long weekend. So when my friend had a timeshare. And so I took the time off of work. It took an extra week. I wanted to explore out here in Arizona to see maybe about moving out here. And, you know, I got blackout drunk and sun poisoning, alcohol poisoning, good times, and saw a few properties, and and met up with a few people. Did a little networking. I pretty much made the decision to move out here. Yeah, speaking of the sun, I went to my buddy Cliff's house. He's like, "Let's go back. Let's go back. Fire up the grill. Have a few beers." Oh man, it's too bad. I I could move to this Arizona place if it wasn't for the damn sun. It's just too hot. He's like, "Look at you. You destroyed. How much time you spent out in the sun?" Like, well, a lot. You know. We'll just sit in the shade. It's beautiful out. It's like 98, 99. Probably not going to get over 102 today. It's September. It's beautiful. This is the best time of the year. We had two or three beers and, you know, bratwurst, hot dogs, burgers, and just chilled outside with a nice breeze. And I didn't break a sweat. I'm like, I can get into this. I get back and I had tried connecting with women on Yahoo Personals. I kept on getting emails from Yahoo Personals. I didn't even know what it was. I said, hey, you know what? That's, it's, it's, uh, it's trying to hook up women in your area. So I tried to hook up with women in Arizona when I was coming out from Boston. And one of the women I did not hook up with is now my wife. She had sent me a long, drawn out email, like five paragraphs, real sincere. Hi, I was hoping to be your tour guide. Hope you enjoyed your time in Arizona. You know, if you decide to move here, let me know. I'd love to connect with you. Sorry, I missed you. I was moving, blah, 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 blah. With a lot of other nice stuff in between. And so I'm like, oh my God, that was super nice. So I connected with her. And then after a couple email exchanges back and forth, she asked me to call her and I called her. (laughs) Back at high school, I'm afraid to call her. But I called her and like, we hit it off. Like, I felt like I knew already just from the email exchanges and the conversation was really smooth and it kind of helped my decision a little bit or a lot. I made the decision to move to, to Arizona. And so I did. In my mind, I'm like, she's going to save me or this move's going to save me. This is my chance to get sober. So like two or three days before the, uh, the big move, you know, I stopped drinking. I got all the alcohol out of my system. So I wasn't, I had a little bit of clarity. I wasn't stinking like booze. And I show up and it was great. You know, she picked me up from the airport. We went out to dinner. She ordered a glass of wine. I got a glass. We ended up getting the bottle split in the bottle. Not a big deal. It is if you're an alcoholic, right? So uh, I had two glasses. She had one and then I finished the rest, whatever was there. And uh, the next night, you know, I bought a six pack. I made dinner at her house that she was staying at. It's like, oh, you're drinking again? Oh, so she's like, oh, you're having beers? I'm like, yeah, do you want one? She's like, ah, no, I'm okay. The next night I had more beers and she started questioning, like, do you drink every day? I'm like, no, just kind of on vacation. And then as so I, the next day, I might not have drank. And and then the following day, a few beers, like, "What?" you know, she went to work, came home. I'm, I'm there. And like, what are you doing drinking again? Like, oh, there was a game on. I started watching it. And The next day, it like rained out. like it never rains in Arizona, right? Like, what are you drinking today for? I'm like, it rained out, you know. And the next day I had a bad day. And the next day was football Sunday. Oh, we drink beers every Sunday. You know, it's like a holiday. So every day is an excuse. She's like, you seem to drink every day. I'm like, no, I'm just kind of unwinding. I'm on this vacation mode. And so then I backed off because I'm like, all right, I don't want to lose her. She's a really good girl. And uh, I'm supposed to be sober, right? So I did. And then I decided to introduce it back. in. she found me like passed out on the kitchen floor at the house she was staying. Actually, I moved in there. Uh, there was like five rooms. The guy asked if I wanted to to move in. I was looking for an apartment. So I moved in. It made sense. We talked it over. She finds me like completely, completely blacked out, knocked out on the floor, you know, bottle of rum on the table, half drinking. Uh, you know, I hit my head, big lump of my head. What happened? I don't know. I don't know. Just must have fallen down or something, you know. So she was scared. She's like, no more. No more. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no more. That's it. So, you know, I might have been might have been a week or so where I didn't drink and then I started slowly, you know go out to dinner, I'd order a beer and you know, get another one. She might shut me off sometimes and alcohol was always a problem in our relationship and I always drank when I had more time. I drank in excess when I had more time. What could I get away with? But I wasn't getting away with shit. She always knew and it was stressful just it was always awkward and uncomfortable, but I did it anyways because I'm an alcoholic. Speed up to 2008 and I had the opportunity to go to the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games as a chef and I didn't want to go. I think deep down inside, I was scared because I thought maybe I'd die. I've never been alone by myself for that long, 7,000 miles away, 14 hours ahead, you know, different time zone. Oh, my God, what's going to happen to me? I'm so irresponsible. But I started going, started going to family counseling, went to I was going to AA and I thought I was in a good place. But I was only like I was only lying to myself. I was just doing it basically to to save the relationship, you know, as I look back. And as soon as I got on the plane, I was on, man. You know, I went took a flight to San Francisco, an hour and 15 minutes. I had as many drinks as they'd serve me, two or three. Actually, I had one in the airport, too, and, you know, on the plane. And then I took a flight to Beijing. I don't remember any of it. I remember ordering a few drinks and then, you know, 10, 11 hour flight. And then getting off the plane going, holy, this is like one of the biggest airports in the world. And like, I have no idea. I don't speak Chinese. I don't know where I'm going. There is stuff in English, but uh, this guy Thomas Tang's supposed to pick me up. I look for him. I look for a sign that says Henry Ward, and so that's what I did. And miraculously, I found him. You know, as soon as I got back to our hotel, they put us up at a nice hotel there. I found my way to the Seven Eleven across the street, and you can get like liters of beer for like a, like fifty cents. So, like, uh, how many can I carry? I just put as many as I could, like six or seven, inside my backpack, and went back to the room and just drank some more because I had this nasty hangover from that long flight and drinking whatever. Uh, I get my hands on. And so for a couple of days, I was MIA, man. I just drank and and they were looking for me. They were looking for me. I had a roommate, you know, I saw her a few times, but my work was looking for me. My wife was looking for me. Like I didn't even check in. They're supposed to give you a cell phone. They're supposed to give you, you know, a bunch of uniforms, everything, right? I'm supposed to kind of do like orientation. And uh, I just kind of, all of a sudden people knock on my door, like come in, like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I just, you know, jet lag. I just really have not been feeling good. And meanwhile, there's you know 125 empty Sing-Sing-Sal liters of the green bottled beer on the counter, and a couple of things of sake, and one thing of some rum, cheap rum that I bought. All these empties, and and you know Dorito bags, and and just junk food from whatever I got when I was eating that at Seven Eleven. A couple of times I got like noodles or whatever from the the restaurant next door, but you know the place was a mess. And so yeah, like that's not mine. <laughs> that stuff's not mine. So then I finally you know clean up, clean my act up and go into work, shower, go to work the next day. And, you know, that was cool beating everybody. And and so like a couple of days I didn't really drink. And then a couple of days after that, I was talking to my wife on the phone and she knew I was drinking. I was just repeating myself. And she said, you know what? I'm seeing that same family counselor that we were seeing that we were seeing together on my own. And between her and I, I I'm strong enough. I've made the decision that I'm if you drink when you come home, I'm not gonna be here. I'm gonna find my own place. Like You know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit, she sounds serious, but whatever, you know, she's not going to just leave me, you know, through sickness and health. Right. So, I mean, I put her through hell for years and she was serious. So I came home. You know, I, I parted my ass off out there and it was great. Learned a lot. It probably could have been a better employee, and, and, and learned a little bit more. But there's a lot of people just like me out there that were doing the same thing. they were supposed to be in recovery that that was kind of like their last hurrah. Yeah. So I, I, I had two beers in my hand most of the time and tried to stay somewhat in control. But some days were worse than others. You know, I don't remember much of them, but I had a good time. Went to the games, went to some of the games. Great experience. Great on the resume. Came home. And couldn't wait to be on American soil, eat American food. Not that the Chinese food was bad or anything like that, but just I couldn't wait to be home, see my wife, see my dog, see my friends, just get back. It was a long time. It was four months. And so life was good. I, you know, I was clear, I clear headed a couple of days before I came back. I didn't drink anything. So I had like three good days of clarity and, you know, some good feelings. Couldn't wait to get back. And we went away for the weekend. I had this pink cloud band for about thirty days. And then ironically, they rewarded us managers and chefs from around the country to go to dinner in Orlando. And they were going to give us awards for our short-term assignments at the Beijing Olympic Games. And so they fly me out there. And ironically, my wife was going out there as well in business, and she never traveled for work. So she kept saying, when we, you know, when we get out there, you know, we're going to connect. Maybe we'll, we'll hang out for a little bit whatever. It'd be cool to see you. You're only going to be like five or seven miles away. It looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. So uh, I kept putting her off. You know, oh, they're doing some sort of like, I don't know, like cocktail thing right now. And I'm just kind of hanging out and waiting to see what's going on. And they haven't done dinner yet. They haven't done this. And then I kept repeating myself and she knew. And so, you know, I was double fisted the whole time too. I had, as soon as I got on the plane, same thing, boom. And then it caught up to me. You know, like I said, I was repeating myself. And she said, you know what? Don't call me anymore. Don't text me. So I get pissed. I'm like texting her and calling her. And her phone's not even on the hook. Like what? And so I started blaming her. She's the bitch, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And so um, I was there for 14 hours, drank the whole time, double-fisted, triple-fisted, made an ass out of myself, and then came home, and there's no booze in the house. Went and got a 30-pack of booze and drank like I wanted to for like three days. She was still in Orlando. I got desperately low on booze, and I had the shakes, the cold sweats, and no clarity. So I remember I was scared. I was like passing out, falling down, passing out. I was so weak. I wasn't really eating anything. The first time I we went to the store, I got like saltines and Cheez-Its and that's what I was going to eat, right? And just all the acid, heartburn, I couldn't eat. I wasn't hungry. I was just getting filled up on beer and booze. So I needed to get more beer. What am I going to do? I'll go take a shower. So I take a shower and I remember just kind of like letting the water hit me, kind of cold water and trying to wake up, trying to feel better. I remember just like crying, like crocodile tears. I used to pray to God for all the wrong reasons, right? You know, help me win the lottery. Help me get out, get out of this this trouble with the law. Help me to pass this test. God, please send me some angels. I'm really scared. Like I, all those other prayers from before, they weren't really sincere, right? That's not the way you're supposed to pray. Uh, please, I'm really, really scared. I keep falling down. I'm losing consciousness. I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm dying, and I felt like I wanted to die before that. Like I have nothing to live for. My marriage is ruined. I even gone to work in like five days, four days, whatever it was. No call, no show. I had a side gig that I just totally blew off. You know, I don't. I wasn't looking at my phone. I don't know how many people called me. And so I remember praying to God, just like, send me an angel, send me somebody, send me anybody to save me. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I get out of the shower, I go to get my clothes in the bed. And there's a realtor there with a young couple, like, holy shit. And, you know, you know, so my jaw hit the ground, their jaws hit the ground. And like, I slowly backed away and, you know, grabbed for the towel and put it around me and they slowly backed away, uh, never to be seen of or heard of again. I got changed and just like I remember sitting on the bed and then walking into the kitchen and just skook, skook, just emptying the five or six beers that I had and then emptying the bottle that I had. Well, all the booze was gone. That was it. I was done. That was my spiritual awakening. I never, I never drank again. Those are the angels that God sent me. I honestly believe that. She came home a day later, or two days later. I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, and she you know, said, what's going on? And I told her and I'm going to go to treatment. I've already done some research. I know where I want to go. It's intensive outpatient. Okay, well, I'm moving out unless you go now. I'm like, I don't feel well enough. I'm too shaky. I need to feel better. I can't drive. Well, I'll drive. You know, I don't, I'm not ready. I I need to, I need to collect my thoughts. Like, I'm ready. I'm done drinking. Trust me. You know, yeah, trust you. I heard that before. But no, I'm going. I'm definitely going to go. And so, you know, a day later, two days later, I went to treatment and I went there and asked for, I went to the guys like, help. Can I help you? Big Harley dude, like. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, he's like, Have I seen you before? He's like, You're an alcoholic, aren't you? I'm like, Well, maybe he's like, Yeah, I've seen you before, I've seen your type. And he's like, Uh, if you tried quitting, you know, on your own a bunch of times, cutting down, and he's like, It didn't work, did it? No, so is that why you're here? I'm like, Well, I'm here to get kind of information. He's like, What is information going to give you? Like, seriously, what type of information are you looking for? Are you looking to get better? Yeah, he's like, What lengths would you go to to drink and use drugs? Any length? So pretty much. He said, then what lengths would you go to get sober? Would you do anything? I said, yeah. So he's like, what's information going to do you? Why don't you just sign up? And I'll give you some information. You're an alcoholic, an addict. Did you come here for what? You know, well, my wife. Okay, so your marriage may or may not be repairable. You need to take care of yourself first. You need to be here for yourself. That was pretty powerful. And you have to be completely done from drinking. You you realize you can never, ever drink again. Wow, yeah, I can never drink again. He said, why don't you just sign up? Like, well, I got to figure out the money thing. Well, I got to talk to insurance. Well, I got to talk to work. He's like, all the money in the world, it's your life, man. If it was a million dollars to save your life, to turn your life around, would you pay that? You know, over time, would you figure out a way to do that? Like, I guess. Then money doesn't matter. Just sign up. I'm like, fine. This guy shut up, you know, just like the the They thing. yeah, I, I, I'll sign up. Maybe, maybe I won't even, I won't, I'm not going to commit. Maybe I won't, come, I won't come. I won't commit the next day, the day after. I'll just sign up to shut this guy up, you know? But once I signed that paper and, you know, did the insurance, whatever, you know, the right to look in insurance, like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulder. That was it. Like I was done. I'm like, the fight's over. The fight's over. Now it's time to to go into treatment. And so I did. And my wife got an apartment uh, for a year. I had the house, but we pretty much lived together still. Uh, we were separated, but together, if that makes sense. But it was really confusing to me. So I ended up seeing a therapist like he basically said that um, you got to figure out, and she said it too. You got to figure out yourself. You got to learn to live on your own. I'm like, I lived on my, my own most of my life. I can't believe she's doing this. Money's a problem. She's getting an apartment. We get a house. We can't afford the house. She's got an apartment too. Makes no sense. But we're together all the time. You need to spend time on your own. Like, think about it. And she said the same thing too. You've always had booze to entertain you, right? Now you got to deal with your emotions. That's what this recovery thing's about. You got to learn to deal with life and life's terms. You got to deal with problems with a clear head. And we're gonna and treatment's gonna give you the tools to do that, the therapist was saying too. And they told me in, in inside treatment too. Yeah, so treatment it ultimately saved my life. I mean, I I say my wife did too. She did with the tough love. I did with putting in the time, putting in the hard work and you know, completely understand that I was powerless and all that good stuff. So I was fully immersed in the program. I, you know, lived sobriety, meetings, treatment, learned a lot about myself. You know, they say miracles happen. Dude, they did and they and they do. They continue to this day. But I ended up moving back to Boston. I got a job that like doubled my salary. They paid for the relocation. And so I went back to like to Waltham, Massachusetts, where the place where I damaged my reputation, I damaged property, I ran from the cops and, and all that good stuff. And yeah, I went back there and life was good for a little bit. And then I started getting a little bit squirrely and we ended up, um, I didn't have any hobbies or anything like that. And the therapist that I was going to back in Arizona had told me that I was he figured me out. I'm an adrenaline junkie, just from what I told him. He's like, you got to figure out a way to get that energy out. And so uh, my son, Sebastian, was born in March of 2012. And I started walking distance. I was walking a little bit with my dog before, but I really started walking distance. We had come out to Arizona here and we were staying at Priest and Southern. At a friend's house, at three o'clock in the morning, my son Sebastian wakes up and he's 10 months old, he's crying, so I give him milk, he doesn't go back to sleep. I'm like, oh man, we're at someone's house, we have no TV, we're both in a bedroom with the lights on, what are we gonna do here? We're not gonna both stay up for the rest of the the morning and, and the day, so she's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to get an iced coffee, I'm going to get a bar, I'm gonna get him some more milk, I'm gonna get the diaper bag ready, And we're going for a walk because he would always fall asleep. So he walked a couple of times around the cul-de-sac and he's just kicking and, you know, gooing and gone. So he's having a good time. Let's keep going. I'm bored of this little circle. So we went out of the neighborhood and I found myself going down priest and then took a left, took a right on Guadalupe and went right into South Mountain. It's, you know, when it's four in the morning, 430 in the morning, I had just walked like three and a half miles. And walked into South Mountain in the dark, like, oh, this is the it's so dark. This is the coolest thing ever, you know. Walked in there with the baby stroller. And we ended up getting, like, I saw the sunrise, saw a bunch of coyotes. He had a blast. He just, he's looking all around, kicking his feet. I felt alive. I felt alive. I'm like, this is what I've been missing. There was, like, a seed planted, like. So I started walking distance and then the next day I went on to 12 miles walking that's a long time to walk you know it takes so much longer than running and i had this weird idea that you know if i ever ran i could get there faster and go further right and so speed up to 2000 i came back and started doing distance walking that was my thing and i got a little rush out of that that was cool but uh in 2013 you know he was a little bit over a year old we had the marathon bombing in boston and i start i ran a couple of times but i would just basically sprint and be gassed to be shin splints be out of wind like this sucks right sucks i hate this i thought i'd like it and then one of my friends in arizona and um was living in arizona before he moved out to corning new york and we were going to visit him over the weekend Memorial day weekend and there was a glass fest 8k corning glass and there was an 8k race and i asked him if he was going to run and he said i'll run if you do i said sign me up so I ran twice, pushing Sebastian in the stroller and did okay. I did like four miles and then two miles and then ran this race and hated every moment of it. You know, like, I'm like, this sucks. I thought I was going to really like this running thing. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for the first 30 seconds and everybody started passing me and I was already winded and my legs are tired and it was 40 mile an hour winds hitting me and hitting the stroller. I wasn't liking it too much. But then as it was like a mile from the finish line, I saw my wife. I saw our friend, my friend's wife and their two kids. And I could see the finish line. I could see the track. I could see the inflatable finish line and realized I was going to finish. I'm like, this is awesome. So like adrenaline took over, crossed the finish line, get a glass medallion. It was like, I won the Olympics. Like I got a gold medal. And, you know, it was just a super cool feeling. And then when can I do this again? And so I Googled, you know, road running races while they Massachusetts and come to find out there's a race the next weekend. Can I run it? You know, I asked my wife, Alejandra, and she's like, well, do you want to go to the hospital and get checked out to the doctors and get checked out first? You okay? I'm like, I'm okay. I could do this. And so, again, the community that I caused a lot of damage and ruined my reputation, I saw a lot of those same people, the same people from high school, people I'd see in the bars. And some of them were just like me. Some of them found running post-addiction. Like, they were addicts, too. They were alcoholics, too. Some of them mental health. Some of them were overweight. They found running in that community. Except to be back with open arms and it was so cool so i had a whole new group of friends next thing you know i'm a runner like if you run you're a runner and then um you know did the waltham circuit the race series there and then started to the boston half and then i want to do a full so i wanted to do boston you have to qualify for boston you have to run for a charity didn't do that the first year it didn't didn't qualify didn't have a race in time but i ran pittsburgh the first year that um in running may the next year i ran the pittsburgh marathon Hooked on the marathon distance. And then I found out in 2015 about this ultra marathon world. Like hell would ever want to do that? Like, and I thought about it, me, <laughs> you know, the addict, there's nothing in moderation, right? There's no finish line. We're always like searching for inches, search searching for, for the next big thing, searching for something else more and more and more. Right. So the more I thought about it and the more I started looking into it, the more I wanted to do it. So I signed up and it was life changing, you know? I did a 54 miler, met some really cool people, pushed myself beyond my perceived boundaries and barriers and, and, you know, just had a really hard time. But, you know, I could always rely on, I always had a had more difficult time back in my active addiction years, right? And there's millions of others, there's 25 million other Americans out there that are struggling worse than I am right now. I have tired feet. I, I have no energy. I, I'm nauseous. Uh, you know, my quads are killing me. My Everything hurts. But that's nothing compared to what I used to go through, the mental pain that I went through, the stuff I used to put myself through. And I'm sure the pain that I put my wife through, my mother through, my sisters through, my brother through it, everybody else. So, yeah, then I was hooked in the Alta Marathon distance. And since then, you know, it escalated I the most I've done. I signed up for Cocodona 250. I completed 127 miles. Last February, I did what's called Satan Sidewalk. I did a 66.6 hour treadmill event. and I did 204 miles in three days. But I've done the 100-mile distance, I don't know, 20 times. I enjoy that time in my own head most of the time. And I enjoy the adventure. I enjoy the journey. And I do a lot of fundraising. And so what happens is a lot of my friends will, you know, tag along for a mile or two, five miles, 20 miles, 30 miles, 40 miles, you know, a marathon. Or just come out and see if I want something. You know, here, here's an ice cream. Here's some Swedish fish. Here's a taco. (laughs) And it builds memories and it creates dialogue about recovery and addiction. Some people out in those events have shared with me for the first time, with anybody for the first time, that they think they have a problem and they can confide in me, which is pretty cool. But yeah, no, I've done a bunch of those fundraising things too. And I really, I really enjoy the Ultramarathon distance. And I really enjoy the Ultramarathon community.
0: Right on, man. Let me, let me, uh, I'm gonna take you back a little bit. I'm gonna ask you some questions. I, I loved your story, man. I appreciate that. I love what you're doing. But I think you can, you can educate a little bit. So I noticed that you kind of went through a cycle. You started talking about your alcohol abuse. And, and a lot of people have a hard time saying, hey, I'm an alcoholic. When did you realize that you were an alcoholic? What were some of the signs that you saw? So when I found myself, let's just say,
1: I think I always knew, right? I've always had an addictive personality. Maybe that's why I didn't want to start too. But when, once I was 21, it became automatic automatic that I was going to the liquor store most days after work it's just I was just there I just did it without like autopilot not even thinking and like like I said every every day was was Thanksgiving and like if I didn't do that like if I had to do something else I'd be stressed out like if I got to get a haircut or I got to go to the bank or I got to do this you know that's cutting my drinking time you know maybe maybe I have a problem you know if I, I have to drink every day like all right well I can't drink till after supper that means I only have a few hours to drink man what a bummer um, I found myself, you know, only really hanging around with people that did the same things I did. So, for example, you know, someone said, hey, let's go to lunch tomorrow. You want to go to Panera Bread? I'd say, nah, you know, I, you know, we go somewhere else. They, they don't serve beer. You know, you want to go to, uh, let's just say, like the Thirsty Lion or something. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. You know, I was kind of only hanging around with people that did the same thing I did. And so that's kind of weird. I'm pushing my friends away. Their friends their friends are really cool. They just don't smoke and they don't drink that much. But like, I think I have a problem. And I have a problem because I drink every day and I have to. And I, I also can't stop either. And that's a problem. If I do have to stop, I'm stressed out. There's a reason why I have, someone's making me stop. You know, oh, seventh inning of the Red Sox game. They're not serving anymore. Damn. You know, that sucks. Let's go. Let's go to a bar. That's a problem.
0: So I noticed that in your routine, you had the ability to stop for a small time. If it was value in it, like, oh, my wife was going to get home or I'm going to go to the Olympics and do some chef work. And, and you could stop for a time and then you would start back up. Was this part of just, was this your mind playing tricks or straight that you were just an alcoholic? Well, I think straight that
1: I was an alcoholic or I always will be, you know, one is too many and hundred's not enough. Like, I could never consistently have two beers every day or drink only on the weekends. It was only a matter of time before I drank like I wanted to. You know, I was just lying to myself. Just, I can't drink in moderation. Like, I never could. But I, I kid myself, right? I think I could. And maybe this time's different, but it only got worse and worse. It got harder and harder to stop.
0: We hear that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You've claimed, Henry, hey, I'm an alcoholic. But you're sober. Of thirteen years. So if that adage is true, how are you sober for thirteen years? Well, with treatment, finally I'm just finally
1: being done, like never realizing I can never, ever, ever drink again. Because if I do, it's you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be divorced. I got too much to lose. I know what's gonna happen when I drink. I'm not gonna be able to have this one. That's not gonna change, that's been proven. And I just lost the urge. I just lost the urge. All that madness, like that plotting and planning over the course of the workday, like thinking like, all right, money's a problem. I could probably, I could go to the, go to Fry's supermarket. I'll get food. I'll get some whatever. So a case of water, all right, I'll get like seven or $8 worth of stuff. And then I'll get $20 or $30 cash back. I'll get a six pack. I'll get a small bottle of rum and a pack of cigarettes. It may be a scratch ticket. To try to win some more money for drinking money the next day. And I think, okay, so I, how much time do I have? I got two, two, probably two and a half, three hours. If I leave work at one thirty, if I can clean my area up, I'm a chef, right? So if I can clean my work up, clean as I go and I have a good day, I can get out of there by 1.30. You know, as opposed to 2.30, that'll give me an extra hour of drinking today. So I'm going to need a little bit more. So I'll get some filler beers too. So I just started, I go over this every day in my head. How much can I drink? How much time do I have? How much money do I have? How much can I get away with? You know, I got to take a shower. I got to brush my teeth five times before my wife gets home. I have to pick her up, right? I take a nap so that I could kind of sober up. I need time for a little nap, set the alarm, set two alarms so I didn't sleep through it. A couple of times I did. But all that madness, all that madness, just thinking about drinking, thinking and thinking, it all went away. I don't have that anymore. And that opened up a huge uh, area of my brain that was that was cluttered from before. But yeah, I know I don't have the I don't have the urge and I do a lot of personal self-development. I don't do a lot of AA meetings, but maybe once a week, every other week online. Just I do a lot of podcasts, self-help podcasts. I read this like daily quote thing every day. I'll read the A book, just different things like that. And then just surrounding myself with positive people. Like today, I went running with my buddy, Ray. We go every Friday and have our trail therapy. And we just kind of talk about our weeks and, you know, without whining and complaining, chin and moaning, it's more solution oriented. Surrounding people that are just like me, surrounding myself with people that are just like me or just, you know, really good support system and foundation is is crucial. You know, I can't thank my wife enough. She's uh, she's the voice of reason. She's stuck by me when she probably shouldn't. Same thing with my mother, you know, over the years. She probably should have kicked me out. But um, yeah, with the grace of God, man, you know, it's I'm in God's hands too. I'm really, really lucky that I did lose the urge because some people don't ever lose that urge. You know, I've had drunk dreams and things like that, but I've never like been on. Oh, I feel like drinking or, you know, I've never gone to a party, be like, well, maybe I'll just have one. That's the biggest miracle, pretty much, you know, with the exception of my wife and my son. That's maybe it is the biggest because I actually it is the biggest because I wouldn't have my wife and I
0: certainly wouldn't have my son. So, Henry, let's let's wrap up. And, and I want you to talk to me about this. Welcome to running without the devil. I know you've written a book. It's on Amazon. This distant running, man, what you're doing in the future. I love it. You're making a difference one step at a time. You have this mission and vision. And if you don't mind, let me read your mission. is to help people who are suffering from addiction get treatment and aftercare they need and to emphasize running and physical fitness as a critical part of the recovery and maintenance plan. Man, I love that. So talk to me about this philosophy of running without the devil.
1: Yeah, so I've had this philosophy for years and finally the pandemic gave me the time to work on my nonprofit and my book. So the the book, first of all, the book is uh, my story of early signs of addiction, active addiction years, treatment, aftercare, how I found running and how running has helped me. And I found that running has given me a platform to share my story uh, of recovery and hope. You know, honestly, I tell people if, if I can run, like if you run, you're a runner. But if I can run, anybody can. If I could get sober, anybody can. If I could write a book, anybody can. But anyways, yeah. So the foundation, you know, treatment really worked for me. And the aftercare, you know, again, I got an education on myself. I really believe that it works, but you have to continuously work. There's no cure for addiction, right? There's no cure out there. There's no magic pill. Just like anything, like dieting, you know, here, take this, you know, this weight loss program, blah, 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 blah. It's a lifestyle change, right? I believe that you have to commit to to a program, AA, treatment, aftercare. You have to do something and you have to continuously work on yourself. You have to work on your character defects. Everybody has them, especially alcoholics and addicts. And then I, when I found running, before I found running, I kind of started diving into a little bit. I was a squirrely mess. I was kind of climbing up the walls. Like, I had all this nervous energy and the therapist told me, too, right, that uh, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I had to get that energy out. And, like, riding my bike didn't do it anymore. Rollerblade didn't do it anymore. Going to concerts, ah, going to the Patriots games, ah, it's not the same, you know. I used to do it. I was all messed up. It was still I Went to a couple of Patriots games. It was okay. But I didn't have that that adrenaline rush or anything like that so i needed to find something and then i found running so maybe you can't maybe somebody can't run maybe running's not for them but it works for me but i do believe you have to find something you know some sort of hobby something to keep your mind busy something to keep your body busy you know walking might be okay for some people but you know knitting quilting whatever it is you got to keep busy you got to find something you got to find what makes you happy what makes you move what lights that fire inside so what's running without the devil mean? So it's, you know, kind of an analogy. Like the devil is alcohol. The devil used to be inside of me. You know, I'd go to the liquor store without even realizing the little devil. I say like, remember Fred Flintstone, like the good Fred and the bad Fred, the little devil and the little angel one. So, you know, a lot of the times it, it's so easy to listen to the bad Fred, right? He's poking you and poking you, poking you with a pitchfork. Like, come on, dumb dumb, just go, just go to liquor store, Go get, go, get, go get messed up. And the other ones, now, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you're going to regret it later. You're not going to feel good. So that devil that was in me, I've run away from it. I left it in the past. It's not there anymore. The booze, the booze, the analogy of that. I don't run away from my problems. Like I head on, take them on the chin or, or, uh, you know, I live life on life's terms. So recovery's taught me that. I don't have that devil
0: in me anymore. Thank God. If we could find a way to, to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Facebook, Instagram, you're runningwiththedevil.com. What's the best way?
1: Yeah. So if you go to com, I have an email contact there. But um, also it's henry at com, Or on Facebook, I have Henry Ward Ultra Runner. And then I have Running Without the Devil page too. And then if you're looking just for my regular Facebook profile, it's um, like Facebook, blah blah blah, backslash Chef Henry Ward, and then Instagram. I'm awesome, Henry Ward three, and Running Without the Devil. So I'm mostly on Facebook, but I do Instagram too.
0: Okay, cool, man. And I can see you. we can purchase some desert caps. We can purchase some gear on online from you. So I love it, man. This is great.
1: Yeah, I got a new book coming out too. I got a children's book coming out called One Donut Too Many, and the animation cartoonizing of characters phase which is kind of fun we're going to finish up the photo shoot and the uh, cartooning on wednesday and i would say maybe one more round of edits and that'll be done so that'll be out after the first year but you can pre-order that on my website too
0: yeah man we'll look into it hey thank you man thank you for doing what you're doing for sharing your testimony for just being uh making a difference one step at a time brother this is Super cool. Congratulations on your 13 years of sobriety. Keep chasing the vase and appreciate your friendship, brother. I hope we we connect soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Brock. Congratulations on 12 years too.
0: Thank you, brother. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.